Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. No sirens, no alarm bells. This is not an emergency van cast. This is the <laughs> regularly scheduled back end of the week uh, pod that uh, addresses all things around the Vancouver Canucks as they work their way to the trade deadline. And obviously, Tyler Toffoli making his Canuck debut in a 4-3 shootout loss to the Minnesota Wild in this building as we record ahead of practice on Thursday morning. Grant's a uh, point gained, a point added to the total, but uh, a point left on the table as well for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, and... You're at the point in the season where they played well. You know, Travis said post-game that he thought it was the best game they'd played since the Carolina game. You know, I, I don't think they were that good, necessarily. I think they had a really good first period and thereafter surrendered too much. And they generated a fair bit, probably controlled the balance of play. But again, you just see the <laughs> five alarm chances that Markstrom's facing on a minute-to-minute basis, and they're too high quality. Ultimately, they tie the game off of a bank shot that hits Troy Stetcher's face. That's what JT Miller called post-game a goofy one, and I like that. And losing the shootout despite sort of taking the lead with the first shot and then again with the second shot, not something I think you see too commonly. Toffoli played well. Team sort of rebounded, I think, from in terms of form, from how they've sort of played. Certainly the Chicago game was, I think, ugly despite the result. Obviously the game against Anaheim was bad despite them controlling the balance of play, just wasteful with the puck. And so we'll sort of see here, but Bruins are a tough opponent, and there's this isn't the feel-good, try-hard process time in the season. Like right now, three points ahead of ninth, the ninth-place Winnipeg Jets, and one point back of the Edmonton Oilers for first in the Pacific, this is the time where the results-based business cliche actually matters. Right, and like we often talk about margins, whether it's within the game or the results themselves. You know, with a 3-2 lead and five minutes to go on home ice, the storyline looked like it was going to be big third period push, best players step up when they need them. You know, the JT Miller show... And all of that happened, but you're right, a goofy one off the face of Troy Stetcher, who's having a terrible run of bad luck. And then, as you said, anytime you score on your first two shootout shots, like that should be money in the in the bank. So things turned in a hurry for the Vancouver Canucks. Again, they kept pace with the Oilers. They gained a point on the Arizona Coyotes as we sort of lived this, you know, in, in real time, moment to moment. But you just, you can't afford to be giving away too many more points and you know two two and one on the homestand two four and two now in their last eight you know that pace isn't going to get them where they need to go so uh you know my concern when I heard Travis Green and look I get it I mean he sort of warned us after the Anaheim game that he didn't have time for the negativity and you know he's the coach uh his team is sagging a little bit like it's his job to keep that steady hand on the wheel But if that was their best game in a couple of weeks and it wasn't good enough to beat the Minnesota Wild, 
that's a little troubling for me. No question about it. And, you know, one thing to keep in mind, like I went and looked at how they'd done in February, just on a lark, right? And 26th in the NHL in point percentage, which is bad, but two teams worse than them include the St. Louis Blues and the Washington Capitals, right? So, you know, on the one hand, they've really struggled over a short sample. They cannot afford for that sample to expand, but good teams do go through runs like this. Now, I don't know that the Canucks play defense like a good team. That remains the biggest concern. And so if they're going to get back on track, some of the underlying logic that's powered them here to this point needs to be restored. And part of that is the power play, especially PP1. Part of that is finding a rhythm with that first line. I think that showed up against the Minnesota Wild. And part of it's Jacob Markstrom. And I think he played well against the Minnesota Wild. So, you know, they had sort of two of the three things they need going still surrendered too much and against a team that's just Fiala and guy 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 and then a decent blue line you know like it's just not good enough look I've seen the Minnesota Wild three times here in the last six weeks I said it the first time I saw them and I'll say it again like there's just nothing sexy about that hockey club (laughs) like they have a bunch of professional players who work hard and they got a couple of bounces, but damn, Fiala can shoot the puck. He, he scored a similar goal off the rush in Minnesota a couple of weeks back, and then, you know, not the start, obviously, the Canucks were looking for, uh, a team that's been giving up way too many odd man chances, and there's Jordy Ben, you know, biting on the play out at center ice, and away go the Wild, and Fiala makes no mistake. Puck may have rolled up the stick of Chris Tanev. That doesn't help uh, Jacob Markstrom in that instance but regardless I mean pucks in the back of the net in the first shot of the game not the start you're looking for in response to what happened against Anaheim on Sunday afternoon so you know a couple more days off here it's uh, this really thin portion of the schedule that's going to change in a hurry I mean this time next week we're talking about the stretch run in earnest which I think is 20 games over the final 38 nights of the regular season so you know that comes with the territory of getting that week off around the all-star break right the players they wanted the week off they get it they can use it but uh, the cost is that you then absolutely run the gauntlet and the Canucks are about to do that sort of starting with the game in Montreal next Tuesday night. Yeah, and it goes for you and me too, Jeff. We've got to be getting our sleep, eating our Wheaties and, and eating some salads, mixing in some water, nine cups a day. You know, on the other hand, of course, we did or you did get you got to ride horses. So the bye week is something we will take. Um, you know, my, my equestrian co-host over here <laughs> certainly appreciated the time in the sun. The stretch run's going to be fascinating, and, and I do think we should go deep on Tyler Toffoli's Canucks debut just a little bit because two things really quickly that stand out, one of which I wrote about and one of which I'd sort of saved so that we could chat about it, partly because I think it works better as a conversation than in print. In terms of what I wrote about, I think his hockey IQ showed pretty quickly, especially in the offensive end when the Canucks had the puck. There's going to be a learning curve in that defensive end. He admitted that he he told me there were times where, you know, you feel lost. And if you go look at the tape and, and look at certain regroups uh, in the defensive end, I mean, he's got the instincts to be a pretty useful player, cutting off the top on the strong side, being in position, blocking shots, you know, keying the transition game. And we saw that at, at times. But certainly when the Canucks had the puck, reading off of guys like Chris Tanev and JT Miller and Elias Pettersson, I think that came really quickly. And Pedersen praised him for that postgame. Pedersen said, this is a guy who understands to get me the puck when I have speed and gets open when he has speed. And that worked really well right off the hop for us. 
you know, the fact that he was able to read Tanev leaving the puck on a pinch, and he doesn't even know to call Tanev Tanny yet, you know, that really stood out to me. The other side of it, though, and this is sort of goes back to the L.A. thing. In L.A. toward the last season and a half, as the Kings entered the winter of their discontent that has stretched for a couple of years now, you know, since they last won the Cup in, what, 14? 15? 14. Toffoli had become disengaged to some extent, to the point where lots of close Kings observers believe strongly that he was put with Kopitar in November for the purpose of facilitating this type of deal, right? Last night, if you so much as, so much as breathed on Pedersen or Hughes, you were, you were having a chat very quickly with Tyler Toffoli. He had that big hit on Dumba 2 on the 3-on-3. Three three. Not a lot of hits on 3-on-3, three three, so you have to want it. But I think all over the ice, 200 feet, he looked engaged, keen to make a, a good impression on the club. I think he's done really well in media availabilities, considering this is such a different level of attention than what he's used to. And I think that side of the game is so key for the Canucks in terms of what they need from Toffoli, but also in terms of how he can endear himself to, to not just the Canucks coaching staff, not just to his new teammates, but to the crowd that was pretty large at Rogers Arena, I thought, considering... As you say, there's nothing centerfold quality about the Minnesota Wild, and it was a late Wednesday start. You know, this building was 85-plus percent full, certainly less than 90, but pretty good. I thought that was a good, energetic crowd, and, and I was really looking at that game. No more Sedin Week. They've made a big trade. Inconvenient start time. Non-premium opponent. How does the market react to this team right now? They sort of passed that building buzz test for me anyway in the building at last night's game yeah I mean I would agree with your assessment you know for me sort of the low-key play for Toffoli on the night second period face off to the left of Devin Dubnik Canucks win it cleanly and he whistled one just wide and you know he just he looked like a shooter in that instance uh, got a lot on it. He didn't miss by much, but you know that's a goal I can envision him scoring. Uh, when you talk about the body check on Dumba in overtime, uh, we also saw one at the other end of the ice with Eric Stahl mm-hmm. <laughs> bumping Jacob Markstrom, who said after the game, "No, fine. You know, in fact, he said I sort of encouraged that. I draw a guy to me in overtime. It you know frees up space on other parts of the ice. So uh, Markstrom was uh, into it, but you don't see a guy bump the goalie very often. <laughs> but look, he had strayed way out of his crease as well." Uh, but, you know, for Toffoli, as you mentioned, like one practice, the guy, you know, gets traded, your world is turned upside down. Even if he knew it was coming, I'm sure for the first time in the NHL to get traded, there's a ton to process. He had gone from Colorado Springs to L.A. to Winnipeg, as you documented in sort of the rundown of the moments leading up to the trade itself. Fly in here, get a practice in. You know, he took the option to not skate on game day, probably just to kind of let the world slow down a little bit. And he admitted afterwards, like, yeah, you know, now he can exhale. He looks forward to just having things slow down for a couple of days so he can catch his breath. And if that's his debut, if that was his jumping on point, then, yeah, I mean, he kind of looked the part of exactly what they're hoping. Uh, Did nothing on Wednesday night that would 
lead me to believe that he won't be back with Pedersen and Miller again on Saturday against the Boston Bruins. You know, I know there were a lot of people that thought when the trade went down that this was a deal done uh, to augment Bo Horvat's line and, you know, give Bo Horvat that right winger that he's been seeking for uh, a couple of seasons now. And, and look, at some point we know that Travis Green likes to mix things up if things aren't going well for his hockey club. So, you know, at some point we may see uh, Toffoli with Horvat and Pearson, but in the short term, uh, he'll start Saturday night again on that top line because they were good. They were good. And I'm now fascinated to see because while that line looked good, that Horvat Pearson line had a lot of quality chances that ended up on Louis Erickson's stick and ended up denting glass or finding a way to stay out of the net. And you have to wonder with the Canucks taking the ice at Rogers Arena shortly for practice. If the Canucks change things up, I did note on an offensive zone draw for the Horvat line in the third period, last 10 minutes, I think the Canucks were still up, though. Jake Vertanen took the ice with Horvat and Pearson, something Travis Green has generally been reluctant to do with both Vertanen and Brock Besser. And I'm curious to see if Vertanen might sort of break through that matchup line logjam that sort of Louis Sutter even Tyler Mott have kind of barred Vancouver's more offensively calibrated right wingers from sort of taking. I wonder if we might see that at practice today with with McEwen drawing in and, and Erickson sort of becoming a healthy scratch. Has he been a healthy scratch since his 19th? I think once, right? So this would be 21 if he doesn't play on against the, his former team on Saturday. Right. He was a healthy scratch against Vegas at the start of that run of 17 games. Since then, he has been an every-night guy. Oh, so it's only 19. He's only been scratched 19 times then. Yeah, I think that's, that's that. Right, yeah. okay. And I was looking at it here. Like, since the All-Star break, you know, he's been in double digits in ice time every game. So, uh, you know, there have been some nights where it's been in the 10-11 range, but he's still – you know, seeing a regular shift for the most part, doesn't have a point in the last nine. And, you know, as you mentioned, I still don't know how he didn't score on the one chance when he had Dubnik down on his uh, stomach and the pads were up in the air and somehow Louis wasn't able to convert. Uh, you know, look, Brandon Sutter is not probably the long-term play uh, on the right side with Horvat and Pearson, but I'd certainly, I think at this point, prefer Brandon Sutter and you know, we can talk about Jake as an option. Jake's gone awfully quiet since the All-Star break. And it's it's not just Jake. It's Horvat, it's Pearson, it's Erickson, obviously. It's Vertanen, Antoine Roussel. I mean, really, that middle six, there hasn't been a whole lot going on. Now, I thought Horvat had a decent game against Anaheim. There weren't many guys that did. He had some chances, didn't pull the trigger. I didn't think a whole lot of that Horvat lines game against the Minnesota Wild. Out there for two of the goals against and that shift in the second period where they got absolutely pinned, couldn't touch the puck, and it was all they could do to get to the bench to change that ultimately led to the second Minnesota goal on the night. You cannot make this Minnesota Wild look like vintage Henrik and Daniel Sedin, right? Like, that's not, that's not, you know what, that shift was a comedy of errors right from Troy Stetcher sort of misses a clean face-off win to keep the puck alive at the Canucks blue line. You could see from the press box the frustration evident on Canucks coaches in the wake of that sequence. And you just sort of have this sense, you have this sense from there. I mean, forget two minutes into the shift, from the three second mark, I had this sense like, the Canucks bench right now is on pins and needles being like, oh my God, this, we just need a save. We just need to get a change. And you know, 
two and a half minutes spent entirely on their heels. That was that was an ugly portion of the game, but look, that's going to happen to you sometimes, and, and no matter how good you are, you're, you're bound to look like a pylon once you've hit the 90-second mark in a shift. Like, it doesn't matter how in shape you are or how talented you are defensively. Connor McDavid would defend like that after a minute and a half. Like, it, it, it's a hard league when you've been out that long and your legs turn to cement. Let's take a sack. I mean, it wasn't all doom and gloom for the Canucks. Again, they get a single point. They should have probably had two, but they'll take their one and move on. Uh, but when we look at things that were going for the Vancouver Canucks against Minnesota, uh, Quinn Hughes, and I thought, again, there wasn't much to like on Sunday against Anaheim, and certainly the result was unacceptable for the Canucks. And when you see what Calgary did to the Ducks, and then you see what Florida did to Anaheim, you know, everybody else is running the Ducks out of the rink, and the Canucks... Uh, they fell flat on their face, but Quinn Hughes, I thought, was terrific against Anaheim and probably even better uh, last night against the Minnesota Wild. You know, this is his first look at an NHL stretch drive. We spent so much time in the marketplace talking about the temperature in these games heating up and, you know, the level of competition and everything else. This is this guy's first look at an NHL stretch run. Plays 27 minutes and 5 seconds last night, 3 minutes of overtime. It just crushed it in terms of possession numbers, two more assists. He's leading all NHL defensemen in scoring since the All-Star break by three points. Like, we're talking about the same guys like John Carlson, who is running away with, you know, the scoring race among defensemen and, you know, Chris Letang and, uh, you know, who else, Roman Yossi, all the, like these guys are having terrific seasons. Say his name. Say his name. Who else is he beating in the scoring race, Jeff? Kale McCarr. There you go. Absolutely. Although <laughs> McCarr, since the All-Star break, is in that yes, mix in the trail pack. But but still, like he's opened up a three-point lead on the best defenseman on the planet. And, you know, just the, the play that he makes on the Beagle goal. Like, oh. Jonas Brodeen defends that thing perfectly. Like, there's no pass to be made there. And yet he still finds a way to put the puck on the stick of Jay freaking Beagle. Quinn Hughes made Jay Beagle a goal scorer. Like, we used to laugh that really maybe the greatest accomplishment of Daniel and Henrik Sedin, and it wasn't acknowledged uh, during their week, was making Marcus Granlin a 19-goal scorer. Quinn Hughes just made Jay Beagle a goal scorer. Quinn Hughes was unconscious, and I loved the tweet you sent about the scoring race since the All-Star break among defensemen, but also... Is it 10 even strength points, Jeff? I think it's nine. I think nine. I think four on the power play and, and nine, nine at evens. Got it. And that would make him rank him second. I mean, ludicrous, right? And when you look at the way he controlled the blue line last night, some of what he was able to do, he got the puck and you just knew that something sick was coming almost every time. It's incredible to watch. Like, it's incredible. Jaw-dropping stuff. And then his stick was working defensively too, which is how you generate the sort of shot differentials that he did. I mean, the Canucks had two scoring chances to every one the Wild had with him on the ice. Like, you just don't see that in an NHL game very often. They outshot them by 10 with Quinn Hughes on the ice five on five. And when you sort of put that all together, I mean, just a stunning performance and, and a performance that really reinforces what the central priority needs to be for Canucks management here, right? It's just... You don't, in some ways, Hughes and Pedersen raise the bar of what this team needs to accomplish off the ice, on the roster, to permit them to take that next step as an organization. On the other hand, they're so good 
that it lowers the bar for what they actually need to accomplish with the rest of the roster because you don't need to build a fourth line that can outscore opponents or a third line that can outscore opponents. You don't need a third pair that's, you know, lights out, that's got Alec Martinez like the Kings did in one of their cup years, you know, just crushing soft competition. You just need a group that can sustainably not give too much away. And last night, in non-Quinn Hughes minutes, the Canucks are outscored 3-1, and that's the story of the game. I know bad bounce on the third goal, but nonetheless, that's what this team can't afford too, right? They, you just need to hold the fort enough that players like Hughes and Pedersen, who are already at the ages of 21 and 20 delivering this, that their margins, their ability to outscore opponents consistently stands up. We did the emergency podcast in the wake of the trade that came down in the dinner hour on Monday. And we thank everybody for listening to that and the support and the feedback that we got. What was the state of your supper at the time the trade went down? I was on the air. I was actually on the air with Sakaris and Price. I was, yeah. And and at that point, we only knew the Toffoli piece. Nobody knew what the cost was. And then as we went through, uh, it started to filter out. So, yeah, it was uh, one of those things of reacting on the fly. But honestly, we could have set up shop here at Rogers Arena on Tuesday morning and done an emergency van cast in the wake of gym bombs. Oh. Like, it was... Look, I've been at this a while. I mean, you have as well. I can't recall an instance of a Canucks GM getting to the podium and just listing off newsworthy items that were on fire the way that Jim Benning did in here on Tuesday. We couldn't even get to it all, right? Like... I haven't even written a thing about Markstrom's contract negotiations being on hold or asked a follow-up question of Markstrom or Jim. Like, that was not even a line item by the time it was sort of done, right? The Or the or the shot on, uh, it wouldn't be Sven's name so much as Reed Boucher. It's like, whoa, if you say that a week ago, headlines for 48 hours, that's like 48 hours worth of news in this market. And we got it as a, you know, addendum. <laughs> to one of the most eventful news conferences. Now, look, one thing I want to get into, and I've, I haven't been on armies, so I haven't been able to sort of chew on it, but I do want to just quickly note this. Over 72 hours, right? We went from Besser might play Sunday to he's not playing Sunday on at practice on Saturday. On Monday after the deal, three weeks. On Tuesday when Jim speaks, eight weeks, maybe the whole season kind of got walked back a little bit by Travis. Certainly Pedersen, who I think Besser would have told if he was out for the season, reacted with surprise in the room. There's clearly a level of being dialed into one another that you need at this time of year, especially vis-a-vis LTI and the salary cap and player injuries and on and on. And I think the Canucks are in that, you know, the Furlan deal and how quickly they were able to react to everything over the weekend and get to Foley in here and use that cap space indicates that at least management is. But the way that that unfolded poses questions about how aligned management and coaching staff is to me anyway. That's, I, I don't see another fair way to read it. And I did want to address that because I hadn't had a chance to lay that out, you know, point by point in print yet. Right, so after Jim Benning and after practice, the room opens, uh, media mob to Elias Pettersson to get his reaction to the trade and them acquiring to Foley. Uh, but also the best news in Farhan, I think, led with, you know, tough news about Brock, uh, gone for the season. And then Elias kind of was like, oh, really? 
<laughs> I didn't know that. And like, then we were all kind of looking at each other. So you're right. There did seem to be like little miscommunication on that front. But, you know, when you just go back to Jim, it, it started about Toffoli. But then there was, oh, by the way, right. Besser could be gone for the season. But it started with Levo. And you asked the Levo follow-up. But when he said Levo was out for the season, I had that like double take. And I looked over and I could see that I was far from the only one, right? Like, we were all like, Levo out for the season, that's new. And of course it's you, who comes back very quickly. I think you cut someone off. I think you want to, you were like, wait, wait. Josh Levo done for the season? And I believe in that answer, Jim added Besser, potentially being done for the season too. And at that point, I, at that point I was just like, oh my goodness, what is going on? And then I was very happy that I bought and quickly set up a new voice recorder so I could tweet during the press conference because I, I ended up being very busy. Right. And then we got to the sensational seven as well that, right. you know, which still remains sort of a mystery, but has been a massive talking point in the market as well. Does it include Yo Levy? Does it include Wu? Who's who's on the seven? Well, and I like the idea, too, that if they hadn't dealt Madden, it would be the hateful eight. <laughs> but look, uh, the... Also, I mean, I, let's, we should get into the Markstrom thing real quick, too, just because up until Tuesday's press conference, a lot of people assumed that Markstrom was the major priority for this organization in terms of their, you know, long list. Forget the seven prospects, <laughs> the, the <laughs> nine pending <laughs> restricted, unrestricted, or 10.2C free agents. So everyone sort of assumed that Markstrom was the highest priority. Everyone still should assume that. That remains true. But the fact that negotiations were shelved certainly suggests that, you know, the two sides had decided that it was worth waiting waiting and seeing a bit. And, you know, I don't think you read too much into that. I've been pretty consistent in saying this one's complicated and it makes sense to me if it goes really long in terms of getting done. And I still suspect it will just because it makes so much sense for everybody. But... I mean, that's massive news for a player who, you know, throughout the past 10 days has been talked about in connection with things like the Vesna and best goaltender in the Pacific and on and on, like massive accolades. So, look, I mean, that should be a week of chatter in this market. And again, I don't think it I don't think it even resonated in the wake of Toffoli and the Brock Besser injury news. You know, it's a fascinating, I mean, negotiations are always fascinating. And uh, I think from a Canucks standpoint, if the talks, in fact, have been cut off, you know, any chance they had of getting any sort of bargain probably go out the window because from this point forward now, like if Markstrom is the backbone, continues to be the backbone, gets into the playoffs, gets on any kind of run, it would seem that his rate would only go up, or at least his leverage would only go up from here. So, uh, you know, that's the cat and mouse game of contract negotiation. And, you know, it allows, I suppose, Markstrom to focus solely on the task at hand, and that's doing his job. And he's done it remarkably well for the Canucks, and they're going to need him to continue to do that. I want to finish, though, with Levo, because you wrote about him earlier in the season before he got injured, about the opportunity at hand for him, but also sort of the low-key absence when we talk about Louis Erickson at game 60 still playing in the top six on the Vancouver Canucks and Josh Levo may not be you know a perfect top six winger but he looks to me like the kind of guy that could have possibly you know 
been his best in the playoffs. Like that looked like the time to shine for that kind of player. And I think that there's a massive trust between the coach and Levo as well. Uh, and we always talk about Travis Green and the importance of trust and putting guys in situations. But, you know, an unpenalized play basically has cost this guy not just the bulk of this season on the ice, but it's going to cost him probably millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. And, you know, when I wrote about Levo in November, the point I was making was this is a guy who's going to be relatively unique over the span of the last four or five years, a guy who's going to hit free agency with less than 200 games played, and that was assuming health through the rest of the year. Now he's probably bottom five, bottom six among players with the sort of shortest resume of NHL games to hit unrestricted free agency in the, you know, not the cap era, but certainly contemporary, very recent last three, four years of NHL history. And that makes valuation incredibly difficult. I, I mean, I think he had a shot if he'd continued to play. Like, he was at a 40-point pace, right? He was going to be, if he'd continued to play that way, he would have been this assertive two-way forward with excellent underlying profile who'd produced, you know, say somewhere like, say it was 15 goals and 20 points. Say he fell short of 35. I, I, I mean, I think he would have got to 40. And, you know, that's a piece that, that's a player who, could credibly make three, three and a half, maybe, depending on what a team thinks of him. Like, that, that can get you into that Ryan Dezingle range, maybe. And now, I mean, I just think there's going to be these injury question marks, especially if he doesn't get to play in the playoffs. Um, you know, I think that there's going to be a lot of trepidation. He's going to, he was likely, not likely, but there was a possibility he'd have been seen as a niche ad around the market anyway, but now it's you know, he's going to be seen as a flyer and, and maybe it's a flyer the Canucks take. Uh, I think they'd be wise to, depending on how his recovery from, you know, a pretty devastating injury goes. But, you know, I mean, definitely he lost millions of dollars on, on a freak and unnecessary play in, in early December. And you got to feel for a guy like that. Yeah. And at the age of 26, too, like when we talk about players getting to free agency, generally unrestricted free agency, you know, a lot of times it's a last contract or, uh, you know, a guy, as you talked about, with uh, a bigger body of work. So really unique circumstances. And, yeah, it's, just, it's unfortunate for him all around. And, you know, sometimes I don't think people think in those terms of what it costs a guy, the opportunity that was at hand here. And it's just it's unfortunate timing. Um, you know, I, I, I still think, as you said, Travis Green walked it back. I think Besser's camp sort of walked back the possibility of, uh, it being sooner than eight weeks. So I do think that if the Canucks make the playoffs, there's a chance we see Brock Besser again this season. I think with a broken kneecap and the recovery associated with that, that it's a much longer shot that Josh Levo will appear in a Canuck uniform again at any point, either regular or uh, postseason this time around. All right, a few more days off for the Canucks. The big bad Boston Bruins who shut out the Canucks and... We know the Matt Grizzlick story. Uh, we know what Travis Green thought about it in the wake of uh, the late hit on Elias Patterson. So uh, never a shortage of storylines when the Bruins roll into Vancouver, and that seems to be the case here again. How do we always get here with the Bruins and the Canucks? I don't know what it is in the DNA of these two teams or fan bases or markets, but it's like they're like magnets for this. I think it's really just one fan base. Really? I don't think the Bruins are too worked up about the Matt Grizzlick hit. The Bruins have played 
in two Stanley Cups since 2011. I think they've moved on. They've got another chance to do it again this year. Like, it's been an amazing decade for the Boston Bruins. There's a fan base that's still kind of stuck in 2011. Sure, but I'm, I'm not even talking about, like, from the... Sorry, excuse me. I'm not even talking about it from the perspective of a rivalry. I'm just talking about for, about it from the perspective of somehow there always becomes loaded storylines when these two teams face, even when Vancouver's more irrelevant than they are now. There's fi- there finds a way to be something to talk about. And it's not just going to be the Vancouver market. Like, someone's writing the Matt Grizzlick feature out of the Boston market in the next five days or two, three days, too. Um, you know, we're going to get a steady drumbeat of this here. They're in Calgary on Friday before they come in here, so there won't be any sort of pre-game avail. We won't be able to, like, be Don King and uh, promote, uh, you know, bloodshed and gore and mayhem. (laughs) But, look, we've seen the Canucks' response since then, and uh, still all this talk around the market about toughness and Wayne Simmons and everything else. So Abbotsford kid Derek Grant, please make sure to remind everybody that he's a local kid in addition to being a tough guy. Well, they missed out on the one local guy, Brendan Dillon, goes to the Washington Capitals. So we'll see what happens between now and trade deadline on Monday. We make the pledge again that uh, if something big goes down, we will fire up the emergency. Man, that would Or before. That would be a busy week if we get the emergency podcaster up again. But look, that's the deal. Yeah, well, I mean, what's your your flight plan on Sunday? If they do something before, too, we'll fire it up. But, you know, once you land and are safely ensconced in your Montreal hotel room, that said, look, hopefully for our sake, well, I mean, we'll do at least a Monday pod. We will at least recap the deadline no matter what happens. But maybe, maybe, dear listeners, you will get a emergency pod over the weekend in addition to a Monday pod. Uh, you know, Jeff and I, we may, we may struggle with naming podcasts, but we don't struggle with producing them. <laughs> we deliver. <laughs> That's what we do here at the VanCast, at the Athletic and the Athletic dot com and easy to deliver when you've got a van there you go for for transfer state pat thanks so much until we speak again